Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you today. And it is a little bit more sparse here in the first service today because of the celebration musical for VBS next service. But we're glad that you're here today. I'm John, delighted to be able to open God's Word today. Now, I have to start. I have some good news and some bad news, okay? And our family always start with the bad news. So here's the bad news. Here at the first service, you don't get that wonderful VBS musical that's going to come at the end of the second service, okay? That's the bad news. Here's the good news. If you want to stick around, you can hear me preach again and then hear the musical and I'll fix all the problems from this first service. No, the real good news is because of that, I was asked that I needed to keep the sermon shorter today. So you're supposed to get out a little early today so we can turn over the parking lot and get ready for our guests, family members that might be coming that had kids. Now here's the bad news. As soon as a preacher says you're going to get out early, it's the kiss of death that he's going to go long. So I don't know what's going to happen here today. We'll see what happens. No, we are going to shoot to get you out of here a little early so that we can be ready for our guests. And we know we have a a parking lot that uh, can't always handle large groups. And so we want to make sure that we allow for that. But you heard from Monica, and and a huge kudos to Monica. She does a tremendous job. Uh, Doesn't she leading our children's ministries in VBS? Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Our family absolutely loves and appreciates her, and and it's fun for me. Uh, To get to preach on VBS Sunday is the best backdrop. To feel like you're outside and still have air conditioning is ideal to me. I mean, that's exactly how I like to camp. So it's great uh, to be able to do that. But as you heard, they did uh, have a bunch of kids here, a bunch of wild and crazy creatures and uh, animals running around here, and those were just my children. And then there were 300 and what, uh, 70 other kids here as well. And it was fun as I was coming and dropping off some days picking up my kids. I mean, it was a madhouse in here. It really did uh, feel like a jungle and people going, but it was so encouraging to see so many students here. And the goal of the week, yeah, we heard about the fun and the money and the tacos and all that was great, but the goal was their theme was they wanted kids to encounter Jesus and to learn about encounters with Jesus, amazing encounters that people have had with Jesus. And you heard Monica share some of those encounters that they looked at. As I was thinking about encounters with Jesus, I was thinking of a couple of my favorites as well. One is John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well. Just a tremendous story of a woman who's been married five times, is living with a man that's not her husband, but the longing of her heart is to find eternal life. Living water, she didn't realize it until Jesus exposes that to her, and she walks away changed because of that encounter. One of my other favorite ones is Matthew chapter 8, a centurion who has a servant, a servant, not even a family member, but a servant who's paralyzed, comes to Jesus and says, can you heal him? And Jesus says, you want me to come? And he goes, no, I believe if you just say he's healed, he'll be healed. Your word is good enough. And Jesus, I love this. I've always thought this would be a great sermon title. How do you impress Jesus? It says Jesus was amazed. Jesus marveled. Jesus was impressed at his faith. The reality is, is when you encounter Jesus, you can't walk away unchanged. It's impossible. It doesn't mean that you're going to buy in and believe, but you can't walk away the same way. And our hope this week was not just that our students learned about people that encountered Jesus, but that our students encountered Jesus himself. And I believe that that happened as I listened to my kids share what they learned. But what does that look like, right? It's one thing to look back at the woman at the well and the centurion and all the other stories that we have in the Gospels and say, wow, look at how they encountered Jesus face to face. Like, that makes sense. I can see how I'd walk away going, man, if he just healed my servant or he gave me life, I I would be changed. What does it look like for us today? 
And so with their theme verse, if you go ahead, you can turn to John chapter 20. Monica already alluded to it. Here's how we encounter Jesus today primarily. It's through his word. He has given us his word, and John, the Apostle John, who was one of closest uh, disciples to Jesus, gives us in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the purpose of his gospel, and really, how we encounter Jesus. And that's what I'm going to use today. Most of us, some of you were volunteers, but most of us were not here this week. But our students were, and I want to make sure that we're walking away with the same thing that they had, and just giving you a very brief, it's going to be quick, we're going to move through it quickly, but just kind of a brief overview of what it looks like in encountering Jesus and this idea of believing without seeing. So read with me, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Uh, You'll find it on page 907 in your book. John writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, his gospel, his letter. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. One more time. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What John is saying is, I could have said a ton of other things. I could have written story after story, encounter after encounter. They spent several years with this man. They could have filled books with this, but he said, hey, much more could be written. But here, the things that have been written, this is John chapter 20, so in the preceding 19 chapters, and then 20, and then there's a little bit more in 21, all of this has been written, men and women, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have eternal life in him. So why was it written? Well, John says that he wants people to know about Jesus. He wants people to encounter him. Not just encounter them, he wants them to what? He wants them to believe in Jesus. And then that believing leads into having life and life eternal. That's that's John. That's the Gospel of John in summary. Real simple, right? Easy. Okay. If that's what it is, we shouldn't go and do that. But it doesn't work that easy, does it? Not for our kids, not for us. The reality is is that I can struggle with this myself, and I know we can, and I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord, whether you're far from Him or close to Him. But all of us can struggle to believe just that, that it's one statement, right? Oh, believe this, believe this, and believe this. Oh, great. It's not that easy, is it? For one, I want some proof. It's not so easy. I'm not just going to take John's word and some stories. How do I know it's true? I'm naturally wired, as most of us, to be a little bit skeptical. You've got to show me something. Wait a minute, John, that's great. But, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't see it with my own eyes. How can I know that to be true? We have all felt that at different times in our journey. Some of us are still living in it right now. I have conversations with my kids on a regular basis where they're questioning, well, how do I know, Dad? Last night, tucking in one of my kids, she said, how do I know that I'm saved? I was talking to somebody, and they said they thought they were saved, and then they didn't think they were, and then they got saved again. What does this look like to believe? And I question, and I need proof, and I'm reluctant, and I can be skeptical as well. We all know the phrase, seeing is believing. You've heard that? Seeing is believing. We know what that means. It means for me to really believe it, I need to see it. Yeah, they say the guy walked on the moon. I wasn't there. How do I know it's true, right? They say this happened and this happened. But I wasn't there. How do I know it was true? This point was underscored for me just over the 4th of July. Our family was up in central Michigan at my wife's uh, grandparents' farm, and we were having a great time enjoying, and the kids were out fishing and, and the small little pond that they have on their property, and, and through the first day or two, they're pulling out minnows, essentially, okay, little fish. But they're catching fish, and they're having fun. It's a big deal. In fact, I remember one of the girl's cousins, he, uh, somebody reeled in a fish that was about this long, and I hear, that's a cooker, that's a cooker, we got one. And I'm thinking, that's like a, a shrimp appetite. 
appetizer is all that is. But hey, they're having fun, etc. Day two, we're there. I'm out on the other side having some fun with, with other kids. And I hear this commotion. All of a sudden, people are running. And they're like, oh, you got to come, John. You got to come. Scarlet caught a huge fish. I'm thinking, sure she did. Like, I know what that is. Like, instead of this, it was this. And that's great. It's exciting for her. It'd be fun. So I just kind of nonchalantly, and I'm seeing lots of people. So people who were there who have seen eyewitnesses, they're telling me, come, come, come. And I'm thinking, "Eh, okay. Like, I'm still not buying it, but like, it's my daughter, so I'm obligated now. So let's go. And I pretend like I'm caring. And I walk around, and I turn around, and this is what I see. (laughs) Now, the baby's fish is so big, she's got to hold it with two hands. Do you see that? Right? It was a 16-inch bass. I didn't even know we had fish in that pond like that that she and her cousin helped pull out. Now, when I saw that, something changed in me, right? Seeing was believing. I didn't doubt. I didn't question. I didn't have... It was like, whoa. And I remember going, oh, my goodness. I've never caught a fish that big. Then it was jealousy, and then it got ugly. But... (laughs) But I believed in that moment. I went, wow. And she was excited, and we were having fun. And yet I think that's how I often approach my faith too or what God speaks in his word as I go, yeah, I see it and I know such and such was there and I witness account like John, but you know, it's hard. I need some proofs and science. I need some details and well, this just sounds like kind of a fan, fantastic story, kind of hard to put my mind around. And even if I do believe, <coughs> there are still moments in that journey that I, that I question and I wrestle and I struggle. And and I'm guessing I'm not alone in that process. That we do struggle to believe without seeing. Even those at at the beginning who encountered Jesus, even those that sat with him, even those that saw him after he rose from the dead, they struggled to believe even when they saw with their own eyes. So I'm a little less hard on myself and a little more trying to say, okay, John, what do you mean here? What does it look like to believe Jesus and how does that manifest itself out? That's what our kids were experiencing and encountering this week. Even if you look, and for, for time's sake, I'm not going to read through all of these verses, but in chapter 20, preceding those verses where John gives us, hey, here's the purpose, here's the goal, here's why I'm writing this today. I could say a whole lot more, but let me, let me give you the cliff notes. This is, this is what you really need. And, friends, it's enough. It's not like it's lacking or it's missing. It's enough. Everything you need to know wasn't everything there is to know, but it's everything that's needed to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But even in those early stories, if you, if you look in chapter 20, it starts, it's the resurrection, beginning of 20. It's the resurrection has happened, and Mary is going to the, to, to the tomb to check on Jesus. She's just, is he, take care of him. We don't know all that was going through her mind. She gets here. The stone has been rolled away. We know the story. They go inside. Peter and John join her. There's just the clothes. They're starting to think, oh my goodness, like what's happened? There's still some question. Did somebody steal him? Did he actually, you know, did he actually raise from the dead? They're just, can imagine the questions and the skepticism at that point. But they leave and the guys go back home and she stays. Mary stays there. We see in the first few verses and She's weeping and crying and lamenting the loss of her savior, of her friend, of her teacher. Then all of a sudden somebody shows up and says, hey, it's me. It's me. And she doesn't recognize right away. She thinks it's the gardener. And then she realizes it's Jesus. Her eyes are open. She sees Jesus. And there's this, there's this tremendous line that she goes to find Peter and John and tell the disciples. She says, I have seen the Lord. And I get that, right? She did. She literally saw Jesus. Amazing. You think, well, if I had seen Jesus, I would have a pretty easy time believing in him as well. 
And that's an argument that I hear often. I even wrestle with myself. So she goes and tells the disciples, and it's interesting. If you look at uh, verse, uh, where am I at? They reached the tomb first, they went in, and then you go down. So she's, she's speaking, and we're in verse 18. So she says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now I'm expecting at that point the disciples to get pretty excited, right? But you don't see much of a response. Actually, the next verse in verse chapter 19 is, on the evening of that day. So we go from the morning that Jesus rose, Mary sees him, she goes and tells the disciples, and the next thing that John records, again, other things happen, maybe they did, but the next thing we have is on the evening of the next day, what are the disciples doing? Hiding. They've heard, they've heard Mary's account, eyewitness account, they're hiding. Now, that's probably what I would have been doing as well, let's be honest. Okay, they're afraid, the Jews might have thought, they, they, the Jewish leaders, that they stole Jesus and took his body, and, and they're kind of hiding out, and then Jesus appears to them. Comes right through the wall, stands there and says, peace, you know, be with you, it, it's true. And then they say, oh my goodness, it's true. So then these disciples are believing, because again, what, they have seen Jesus, and then the disciples go, and there's one of them missing. Who's missing? Thomas, right? Thomas, one of the most unfortunate nicknames in all of scripture, right? Doubting Thomas. Thomas isn't there, and so a number of days later, well, first they tell Thomas after this and say, Thomas, we've seen, again, the phrase is, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, yeah, what's he say? I got to see it to believe it. It's like me and the fish. I'm sure he did, but until I put my hands in the nails and touch his side where he's pierced, I'm not believing and if we're honest, that's where a lot of us can be. It's easy. I get it. That's where I am a lot of times with, with this faith journey. Hard to see. And Jesus, and then this is key, Jesus comes and appears a handful of days, a week later, walks in again through the walls, and, and he says, go ahead, Thomas, put your hand, do what you need to do. And it says in verse, uh, let me find this, verse 28, Thomas answered him, So he said, don't disbelieve, Jesus says, but believe. And Thomas answered him, verse 28, my Lord and my God. Which is what I think anybody's response would likely be in that moment. My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So the argument against I have to see it, it doesn't work. Jesus instead is calling us to believe even though you can't see. But it's not a blind faith. If you remember back in our study last summer, we walked through Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you remember that, the stories of amazing faith. And and we saw in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2, the author of Hebrews says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So he's affirming Jesus' words, Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Again, way easier said than done, isn't it? Whether you're a student, a kid, an adult, wherever you're on the journey, like it's just, that's hard. And it's going to be hard because we're wired to want that connection and to see and, and there's that part of us that doubts. The Apostle Paul follows this up in, in Romans 8.24, this idea of faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, For in this hope we were saved, this hope in Jesus, that Jesus is our Lord. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, our faith is a faith not by sight, is it? Faith is, is a trust in God. It's a belief that God is who he says he is, even when it doesn't make sense. 
but trusting the words of John, those who were there, taking those eyewitness accounts. And we are, we're blessed. We have multiple eyewitness accounts. Four different gospels and in other places where we see things and experiences of men who were there, who saw it, who talked to people. Yeah, it's interesting, I, I enjoy following sports in the news, and when I read an article, I know there's a lot of fake news out there, but when you go to a place that's fairly reputable, and you read something, I don't spend a lot of time like, nah, no it didn't, I wasn't there, how do I know it's true? I take somebody who was an eyewitness account, and if it feels like there's some logic, it makes sense, and the experience with that, I tend to generally accept that, okay. There's a whole lot of stuff happening in this world that I'm not there. I think of when we get reports from missionaries, except I'm not thinking, well, you know, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't mean it's 100% accurate all the time in that case, as it is with Scripture. But there's a sense of there's trusting. And yet when I look at Scripture, and as we look at Scripture, I think how often we tend to do the very opposite. Kind of like, no, you've got to really prove it to me. Ah, I know you were there and this happened and it's backed up scientifically and there's all this evidence and even folks that have tried to disprove the Bible and in that process have come to know Jesus as a result of it, I'm still skeptical. I still struggle. I still want proof. So I just want to look at three brief things today that were kind of what John talks about. Grab your outlines and we're going to go through these very quickly. And I'm going to allow John to use his words and in some cases Jesus' words to help us understand what it means to believe in Jesus. Because friends, if you, if, if you, if you don't get and understand that believing takes faith and believing is, is not by sight but by trust then you're going to miss the essence of what faith is and the hope that we have and who Jesus is and what he offers. And our kids spent time learning this this week, and I think it was important for me and for us to wrestle through this as well. And so here's what I want to do. Instead of saying seeing is believing, as you see in the outline, the first thing there at the top is I want us to look at believing means seeing Jesus as three things. And we're going to quickly go through. So just flipping it around. We believe, when we believe, or how we know that we're believing, is when we can say, I have seen the Lord. Now again, not with our eyes necessarily or usually, but I have seen him in these ways, meaning he is who he says he is. Now, of these three areas, a couple other just quick notes. One, I recognize there's two, potentially you know, two groups here today. Those who, who do believe, that have some level of faith, maybe you're wrestling in it, maybe you're questioning, maybe there's some skepticism, or maybe you're in a difficult period of time saying, come on, God, what's going on? But there is that level of faith, and my hope is that you'll be encouraged and emboldened in your faith and your trust in Jesus, even though you may not see it right now in the moment. The other side is there are folks here today that do not have faith, that are skeptical, that are saying, John, it just doesn't make sense. And my encouragement and my hope is that you will have an open mind. And you will hear from God's heart himself in these areas and begin to wrestle with who this God is and is he worth putting your faith, trust, and belief in. The other thing is, of these three areas, it's a pass or fail. You need to know, it's not, okay, I got this one and that one, but that third one, no, I'm not so much with that one. No, when John lays out the purpose of the book and what it means to believe or to see Jesus, it's all or nothing, pass, fail. So as we look at these very briefly, as you look through, it's, it's not, well, I'm with you on this one, but not that one. No, it's, it's, it's either you are or you're not. Scripture says you're either with the Lord or against the Lord. There's, there's no middle ground lukewarmness. We're either believing or we're not. I'm not saying that, 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 that is a perfect belief or that's not a belief that doesn't have struggles or doubts. Absolutely not. But these core tenets are what make up the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is life to us. And these things are a matter of life and death. Let me be just very clear. It's a matter of life and death, what we're talking about today. 
It's that serious. So the three things. First one, believing means seeing Jesus as first the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. And we heard that today as, as Monica was talking about. She said that Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. And we're going to use John's words. Turn to John chapter 3. I'm going to have you turn a couple places this morning, just briefly. John chapter 3, verse 16, is probably one of the most familiar, famous, known verses in all of the world. It's the one you see on pictures at football games, the people holding up. Almost everyone has heard of that, or in some level at some point. But I want to read verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So out of love, God sent his Son, the only one that was capable of making a sacrifice for our sin, but he didn't send his Son to condemn us. He sent his Son to what? To save us. Now, there's probably two responses when you hear things like, Jesus is the Savior of the world, because we've heard that before. Some of you feel unworthy, like, I'm not worthy. Like, how could God, you, you don't know, John, what I've done, what I've experienced, where I've sinned. I'm not worthy of God's love. It's for, it's for people that are better than me. So there's a sense of self-deprecation, and I'm not worthy, and I can't reach, I, I can't ever do enough to get his love, and there's a misunderstanding of what it means. He doesn't need you to do anything, does he? He came to do the work on the cross for your behalf so that you might have eternal life. He came to save you. On the other side, there are those who don't feel they need to be saved from anything. Like, I'm not that bad. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm generally a good person. The world, people make their decisions. I don't know. When there's all this sin talk and depravity and I need to be saved for myself, I don't buy that. I, you know, as I've had conversations, like, it doesn't take too long to get down to where most people realize I'm in need of being saved from something. You may not acknowledge it as Jesus quite at the beginning, but the understanding that I need to be saved through someone, to something, out of something. C.S. Lewis once said that, that you have to look at Jesus one of three ways. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. There's no middle ground. He was either lying about who he was. I mean, it was a big charade. He came. The whole tomb thing was all set up. It was all this big lie. He pulled, one, pulled a quick one on us all and all the disciples. Or he, he's a lunatic. He actually thought he was Lord and Savior, and, and he wasn't. He was just crazy. This crazy guy out there running around like that, that caveman in the jungle, right? This, this guy's nuts, okay? Or he is who he says he is. He's Lord. Meaning he's the Son of God. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He's on a rescue mission. That's what... This, this, this Bible, God's word, this collection of writings, it's God's heart for us. It's his story, and the hero of the story is Jesus. Jesus is the hero. He's the savior of the world. He's the only one capable of doing that. And it wasn't enough just for Jesus to die. Jesus had to come back to life. There's no victory over sin if he stays dead. This story doesn't count if he stays dead, but he didn't. He came back to life. He is alive today, and he's coming back. Jesus is our Savior, and that's where we can place our trust and faith. He's the only one capable of saving us from our sin. Some of us try our hard work, good works, other religions, other places, other quote-unquote small M messiahs, but the only one capable of giving us eternal life and saving us from our sin is Jesus Christ. Not a popular sentiment these days when there's, hey, all roads lead to the same thing. Wrong. It's a lie. All roads that lead to eternal life go through Jesus. That is the only road, and it's narrow. But he's the Savior 
of the world. Secondly, believing means seeing Jesus. You've got to see him as Savior, but you need to see him as the Son of God. And when we see him as the Son of God, we are seeing him as God. Jesus is God. When Thomas responds with after Jesus says, hey, stop, stop, you know, disbelieving and believe, put your finger there, do what you need to do, Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. Profound. My Lord comes the word Jehovah. I say, you, know, that, that, you know, my Lord, my Master, my Savior, my, my Jehovah, my Yahweh. It's from Yahweh. And my God was a recognition of deity. In that moment, he saw Jesus and recognized Jesus was not just the Son of God. Jesus was God. John affirms this. You'll turn to John chapter 1. John affirms this in the very first verses of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, the Word means Jesus. That's, that's a reference to Jesus, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was not made. In Him was life. In Him was life. I remember at one time a number of years ago, someone coming to my door, proselytizing a different sect of religion than what I align with, and we align with here at Village. And they actually took out their, their Bible that they were holding, and they said, no, let me prove to you why, why what I'm saying is true. And they wanted to read the first few verses of John. And this is what they read to me. They said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. And I went, whoa, ho wait, hold on. Can I see your Bible? You're not reading the Bible I'm reading. You know, what phrase did they leave out? Was God. So we have a fundamental difference right here of understanding of who Jesus was because I believe he's deity. I believe he is who he says he was. And to be our savior, he had to be God. Because only God could take the wrath of God on himself and bear the brunt of that punishment in our place and allow us the opportunity to have eternal life. Jesus spent time showing us miracles when he was here, those encounters, doing things in that moment to prove his deity so that people would see he was who he says he was. Must have been amazing, right, to see that. And God is still in the business of doing miracles today. They don't always look the same way, but he's still in the business of that. He's still God. He's still the one who rules. He's totally sovereign. He's totally in control. He's above and over all things. He's the only one who's capable of meeting our deepest needs and rescuing us from ourselves. He is God. And yet if you're like me, it's easy, to, it's easy to struggle with that. It's easy to start to see Jesus as my buddy. My friend, the nice guy who sat around that took care of kids and fed people, did all those things and forget that he is God and powerful, and able to save, and still able to save both in a big picture in terms of a gospel standpoint, and still able to, to heal us, and to minister to us, and to do miracles today. Friday night, I spent a little bit of time unexpectedly in the urgent care with one of my kids. Uh, one of our children a year ago had gotten poison ivy that just took over her body. It was awful. And so this same child, we were in Michigan, got in some poison ivy, and, and it was on her leg, and we're uh, starting to get nervous. And I was at a work thing on Friday afternoon, and my wife is texting me pictures. Where I, when I left that morning, it was like right here. She's texting me pictures, and all of a sudden, she, it's all over her body. 
and we got to go. And so I left early. I raced home whole time thinking it's the kid with poison ivy. I get home. I'm telling him, come on, we got to go. And she's like, well, I don't want to go. Last time it made me kind of sick. And I'm like, what? You, you don't want to go? And Sarah goes, it's not that kid. It's this kid. I'm like, oh, okay. I had the wrong child. So I was just seeing pictures, people, not the face. Come on. I have a lot of kids. It's hard to keep track of them. So we get in the car and I'm like, okay. So we're thinking initially it's poison ivy. Because that's what made sense, but like it had just blown up all over her body. And like, well, I don't know. And I'm praying and praying with her, and my heart's just breaking for her. And we get there, and and uh, you know, just trying to affirm, wanting her faith. She's eight, wanting her faith to be enlarged in this process. And she has a deep faith. She believes in many ways God in the midst of those doubts. And we see a doctor. The doctor ended up being a Christian. Praise God. He put her at ease. Uh, we don't know exactly with some kind of a allergic reaction or hives or something. Still kind of figuring it out. But not poison ivy. And she gets home and she tells her mom. She said, well, I was praying. She said, you know what? Maybe, maybe it was poison ivy on the way over there. God heard my prayer and then he made it not poison ivy. And I went, you know what? Maybe he did. Because you know what our first inclination is? No, let me tell you why that isn't possible. Blah, 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 blah. But you know what that little girl does? She believes Jesus is God. And she's living out her faith. And you know what? I want to live out my faith that way. I want us to live out our faith. doesn't mean God has to do that or will do that. We know he doesn't always do it our way. But I want to believe in a way that sees Jesus as God, meaning he can do whatever he wants because you can't put my God in a box. He's God. So he's going to do what he knows to be best. Third, and finally, believing means seeing Jesus as the source of life. The end of that verse says not only is Jesus the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, God himself in the beginning, he was the Word, and that by believing you may have life in him. Ah, the cherry on the top. Not only is a Savior saving me from Christ, not only is he God and some of the wrestling I have with that, but ultimately, here's the good news, he's going to give me life both now and to come. C.S. Lewis also once said this, he said, you never know how much you really believe about anything until its truth or its falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. Let me read that one more time. He said, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. That's why they say, you've heard the, the phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes. And you're faced with reality. All of a sudden, people find religion real fast. I've spent a lot of time in, in, in my life with people at the end of life for a variety of reasons. I've been with people on their deathbeds. I've watched people die. In that moment, man, people are very focused. It doesn't mean that they always give their heart to Jesus if they haven't in that moment, but they are really wrestling and thinking it through at that point. And yet at the point of death, it's too late to take seriously your salvation, isn't it? There's time all the way to that point, and then there is no more. All of you sitting here today, there's still time. Some of you have accepted Jesus as Lord and as God and as Savior of your life. Others are wrestling with that. Let today be a day that you make that decision to put your faith in Jesus to believe, even if you can't see how it's all going to work out. John chapter 6, turn there briefly. John chapter 6, Jesus makes a claim. And this idea, because it's not just eternal life, we'll talk about it in just a moment, about heaven and what's to come. Jesus is our sustainer of life now, to our source of life here. It's not just how fast can I get to heaven, it's how can God sustain me now. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus makes this claim. He said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
Skipping down to verse 40 then, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. Friends, that is good news. He's the bread of life. He's, he's what sustains us and gives us life and nourishes us now in the midst of the struggles, the trials, the doubts, the temptations of this life. And he is the one who will raise us to life again. Our hope, hope changes everything. I have not seen heaven, but I believe in it. My hope is fixed on that, not perfectly. My hope is in Jesus, that he is my source of life and for all who will call on his name as Lord and Savior Jesus' life. In John chapter 14, Jesus also said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There are no back doors. There are no side doors. There are no trap doors to eternal life. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's everything. You get it all with him. You become one of his children. It's the greatest thing ever. He's the source of of life. A few nights ago, Sarah was reading something as she was preparing uh, for a Bible study, and they were talking about something related to hell. I'm, I can't remember the context exactly. And she looked at me, and she had read something. She said, John, if we understood how awful hell was, it would dramatically impact how we lived our lives. And, and we both affirmed that and wrestled with knowing that, that at times it doesn't as much as it could. Because the worst part of hell, as we've said here before, is the absence of Jesus. There's no life. It's all death. Yes, there's a lot of other bad stuff. But it's the absence of Jesus. That's the worst part. Heaven, the best part. Man, there's great things. And I love reading about heaven. I was reading last night something from Billy Graham. As he had written shortly before he died as he was anticipating heaven. And I was fired up. But the best part of heaven is what? Jesus is there because he's our life. He's our life. So have you believed? And by believing, seen Jesus as Savior? as the Son of God and as Lord, as Thomas, as Jesus says to Thomas, have you come to a place that you have been able to believe without seeing with your eyes? Have you believed in Jesus? John says, blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Two groups here again today, and I'll close with this. Two groups here again. Those of you who haven't believed, here's my challenge. My loving challenge to you today is, which part are you struggling with the most? Maybe all three, maybe it's one. Maybe it's the whole Savior thing. Maybe it's this idea of, God, man, is he God? And I thought he's supposed to be a good God. And How can he be a good God and these things happen? Maybe it's this whole eternal life. You don't buy into that. I don't know. My encouragement is keep leaning into that. Keep wrestling. Ask God to prove himself to you. He will. He's faithful. He says in his word he will do that. Grab a friend. Grab somebody here. Grab one of our staff. Grab somebody you know and say, you know what? I'm wrestling with this. I got some hard questions. Let's talk. Lean into that. I believe God will be faithful to meet you where you are if you have a heart that desires to know truth. There's no greater decision you can make. On the other side, those of you here today, my question is, who do you identify most of the three characters that we mentioned from chapter 20? Mary, the disciples, or Thomas? Mary believed pretty quickly. She had eyes that were willing and ready to see, and then she joyfully, she couldn't stop talking about it, right? And I'm so encouraged by her and her, her infectious desire, even though not everybody resonated with her right away. Or the disciples. The disciples were there, and I think they wanted to believe, but there was a bit of a reluctance, right? A little skepticism, some fear, but then they saw Jesus, and then we know that they became bold ambassadors for Christ. doesn't matter how you start. 
It's not about the middle. It's how you finish. That's what matters the most. So, sorry, are, are you going? Or Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap, and, and I get it, but you know what? If the Bible was written and I was in that, it would be doubting John. I would have been that guy. I'll be the first to admit, the guy that was like, oh, I got to see. But when he sees, when he believes, my Lord and my God. And I imagine that Thomas was a pretty strong proponent for Jesus from that point forward. It's okay. Not too late. Not too little. Not too late. In that process, ask God to give you the strength, give you the courage to be able to lean into the doubts, to believe him as Savior and as God and as the source of life and to say, you know what? I need to share this. I need to talk about it. I need to learn more. Some of it's just understanding to be able to dive into God's word, to join a small group, to be able to get equipped so that you can interact with people about some of those difficult questions. But God hasn't asked you to answer all the questions. God has asked us to be available and share the hope that lives inside of us. To say, I don't have it all figured out. Man, I know that Jesus loves me. I remember a theologian one time was asked, what's the most significant you know, theological truth that you know from Scripture or that's impacted your life? And he thought for a moment and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Bam. That's it, in a nutshell. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And he's changed my life now and given me a future and a hope. Friends, the reality is that one day all of us will see Jesus. Scripture says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every one of us, every person who's ever lived, one day will acknowledge and believe that Jesus is Lord. Every person. The question is, will you do it now or will you do it when it's too late? Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. May we be a church, may we be a body, may we be a people that believe Jesus, that takes him at his word, that trusts him and sees him as Savior and as God and as our source of life.